Happy Tuesday, everyone. This is Liz. I know some of you got my voice confused with Mandy, so I thought I would throw that out there from the start. Today's Cup of Justice episode gets pretty deep, so get ready for some heavy topics. But also, we have some really great news to share. The first good news is an update to our last episode when we talked about the harassment Mandy has been getting from a party to a frivolous defamation lawsuit that had been filed against her last year for a story she had written for another news agency about a University of South Carolina professor who was being sued for harassment. Mandy has officially been dismissed from that case. It's great news not only because having that stress removed means Mandy gets to focus on more enjoyable things in life now, but also because it's really ignited a fire within me and especially within Mandy. There is a fight that needs to be fought when it comes to the filing of slap lawsuits, which are complaints that are designed to shut someone up. And we are going to take on that fight. No journalist should be subjected to bogus litigation or targeted online harassment that is meant to discredit them simply because they were reporting news that someone didn't like. You know how we feel about trolls and the strategic online terrorism that goes on against victims of crimes and those speaking out against bad acts and even influencers and bloggers who are just trying to share their perspectives with those who want to hear those perspectives. Well, we're done with them. We're teaming up with other recipients of targeted harassment and somehow all of us are going to make a change happen here. The other great news we have to share with you today, the family of Mallory Beach and the boat crash survivors settled their four year long case against Parker's Kitchen and Alec Murdoch. We are so, so, so happy for the beaches and for everyone who fought so hard in that difficult case. There's so much to discuss here, so let's get into it. Cups up, guys. How you doing? Cups up. Cups up. Everybody's all in different places. Mandy's out west. We are. You're on the east. I'm in the south. I'm in Connecticut this week. Oh, you're in Connecticut. Wow. Yeah, I'm in Westbrook. I'm near okay. my, yeah, I'm at my sister's vacation home. Oh, wonderful. Yeah. Aw. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, so far, so good. Yeah, everyone's all over. Yeah, some are supposed to be for vacations. You know, there was a, a segment on Morning Joe, I think it was on Friday, that said, you will not be productive if you do not take vacations. They really have studied that vacations are absolutely necessary for productivity, both personally and, and professionally. And so companies are, are making people take vacations and they're actually giving more because there's been a study that, you know, if you have more vacation, you become a more productive employee. So it's pretty, makes sense. Got to get recharged, recharge yourself. Totally. And I just like to see different parts of the country and it just makes me happy to go around explore. David had never really seen the Rockies and we that drive between Denver and Breckenridge. And I did that every year when I was a kid. It's so great. We used to drive from Kansas to Colorado and that but the, the stretch from Denver to Breckenridge is just so beautiful and awesome. And David, David's not impressed by much. Oh, yeah. Cisco. Cisco is a great area there. Cisco right outside of Breckenridge is it's cool. Right. And yeah. yeah, it's just just so and we saw my friends in Golden yesterday. That's a beautiful area. Just just a very happy place. We really love it here. Well, you look happy, Mandy. You look like you're rested and you're, well, thank you're you. just feeling good. The mountain air is really good. And you should feel real good because you got the paper order. It finally solidified. You're home free, free at last. 
Yes, the day before the Taylor Swift concert, I finally got the paper that I've been waiting for a very, very long time to come through and say that it's official, you're dismissed from this lawsuit. And yeah, it was just- Dismissed with prejudice, meaning they can never bring it again. Yeah. Now you do have the right, Mandy, to bring a motion under the Frivolous Civil Proceeding Sanctions Act for being wrongfully sued, or you can can't, or you can bring a suit for what's known as abusive process or malicious prosecution. That is, if somebody brings a lawsuit against you and they don't have grounds, they don't have has no merit. It doesn't pass what's known as the Rule Eleven test. So there's three different things that you want to do. Now, obviously. You know, you don't want to kick up a hornet's nest, but you you are in the clear now and uh, you should talk with your lawyer about at least making a motion to get some of your costs back because you were dismissed at a very, very early stage in the proceedings on a motion to dismiss stage, which that is almost unheard of because all somebody has to do is meet the pleading requirements of a complaint. And a judge cannot pass decision on the merits of that complaint as long as the elements are, are pled. And you're basically stuck in a lawsuit through discovery until somebody can make a motion for summary judgment. But you got out early on because Judge Newman viewed those claims against you as not even being grounded in fact and not even being grounded in law. It's an in-your-face slam the door shut against the people that brought this lawsuit against you. And I think you have a basis to make a motion in the case for your costs and expenses because you spent a lot of money. And then if you decide you wanted to do an abusive process or malicious prosecution, you could get your emotional distress damages for having to live with this bullshit claim over your head questioning your professionalism and, you know, what it did to you at a time when you were, you know, especially, you know, getting married and enjoying your life. And, you know, as a young person, you have this, this suit over your head and it, it's, it's unnerving. I mean, talk about what it's like to be sued. You know, you, you're not a lawyer. You know, I deal with the suing business all the time. Talk about what it's like just to be sued. Well, it's terrifying. And it it's also terrifying when I have a very loud mouth against the justice system in South Carolina. And a lot of the people who are still a part of this system could have been a part of those decisions and keeping me in the lawsuit. Does that make sense? Like, mm -hmm. I just always felt like everything that I was doing could come crashing with a lawsuit and a bad judge that had it out for me. And I and I knew that it was a frivolous lawsuit. But again, I also know this is it's not a perfect system and you never know what could happen. And you kind of have to expect the worst. And that was just terrifying. And I also just really hope that I hope that my motion or I hope that my dismissal leads to all of the other journalists who've been sued. They need to be dismissed. The victim in the case needs to be dismissed. And then I, I am going to I plan on taking those next steps of really seeking accountability in this because after going through all of this, it's just wrong for people to abuse the system in this way. And it's like we talked about uh, slap lawsuits, they should not be happening. And this is a perfect example of someone just re-victimizing people over and over again and using our system to do that. And that's not right. So now that I'm out of it and that stress is alleviated, I plan on fighting the good fight and 
making sure this doesn't happen to other people. You know, I've had a lot of victories in my career, but I think one of the most satisfying is I represented a female owner of a, a gym that I worked out at. She she opened a gym. She was a USC soccer player and she opened a big iron powerhouse gym, which was pretty amazing for a woman to do that in the late 90s. And she had a lady sue her who was a, a tenant in her old gym. She took over the lease and she ended up suing my client. So we countersued for abusive process. I got the main claim dismissed like you did. Yours actually was on a judgment on the pleadings, which is the same early stage. And I got the claim dismissed. And then our counterclaim went to trial as if we were the plaintiff under abusive process. And I got her a verdict. And you can be in that same position. I mean, we we should not have a system where people could just frivolously sue others right. and take a shot at somebody in hopes that they're just going to pay me some money so that I can get out of the lawsuit without any repercussions. And uh, good for Judge Newman, because there are many judges, Mandy, that won't make that early call right. on a frivolous lawsuit. They'll let you stay in it. Through a lot of discovery, and you got to spend money on depositions and court hearings, and maybe it's two years down the road where you get out of it. So good for Judge Newman. Right. And I, again, I hope that this puts an end to, and not only was the financial part of it very stressful, but the whole my reputation being on the line and my having all these comments from people related to this lawsuit, trolls related to this lawsuit, that they used it as ammo to attack me as Mandy's being sued for defamation. So don't believe anything that she says. And I want to I want to fight back against all of that. I'm tired of this. I mean, there's some really crazy people that I'm seeing this weekend. Somebody has been sending me stuff. There's a somebody who's saying some horrible things about me that I'm somehow too protective over you and fighting too hard for you. And it's sexist that I'm sticking up for you. You should be sticking up for yourself. And she's saying some crazy stuff. I mean, what are these people doing, man? Are you really, really that warped that you just want to make shit up? I mean, come on. Yeah, they need a vacation as we... No, they need an <laughs> attitude adjustment. That Somebody too. needs to really sit them down and say, you need some help. Not a vacation. You need some help. Yeah, totally. Yeah, she does need some help. I don't know what kind of help though. Right. I, I, I know <laughs> when you're that warped and you're that like, I don't know, they all need help. Um, and I, I just hate that they're all able to like connect with each other and kind of create this false world that they're crazy views of victim shaming and victim bashing and just being horrible, horrible people. They're all like trying to combine their little forces. And look, look, look how much you, you two are right. You, you were right on Murdoch. You were right um, uh, on prevailing on this lawsuit. The Mallory Beach, look at Mark Tinsley and the contributions that you guys made in reporting that. I mean, so much good is, is happening. It's, it's all around us that there's good happening. And, uh, you know, I always believe that truth will out and over lies, you know, in the end. And I always believe that good will happen over evil sooner or later. That's the sucky thing, though, Eric, because it shouldn't be sooner or later. It should be immediate. Like good should win over evil right away. It's just, you know, I, I do believe in that famous quote from MLK, the arc of the moral universe is long, but it bends toward justice. And that, that's a good feeling, of course. But 
at the same time, there's sort of some fatalism there because it shouldn't take that long for people to do the right thing. And I think if anything, we've said this so many times, but it's like you just continue to learn that people don't think the way you do when it comes to what's right and what's wrong. And I'm not, I'm not talking about these like large moral issues uh, that we all grapple with. I'm just talking about in general of how we conduct ourselves with each other. So I think over the last week, we learned specifically with the person that you mentioned, that there's really, I mean, I guess going back to what you said about Alec, there's no bottom. There's no bottom to some of these people because they've dug in. I think they've found their community online. And I also think that there's probably some other incentives there for them to act the way they acted. But in the case that we're talking about with the dismissal that Mandy has gotten just so much, there's so much good there for the rest of us because it shows that the court, like journalism matters to the court. It also just shows that like, it's not just about this lawsuit, right? The claims that are being made in the complaint. These people took their fight outside of the courtroom. And if you notice, Mandy, you didn't really comment on this case too much over the past few years, if at all, other than to acknowledge that, yes, there is one. But just the defamatory comments, I think, that were made in this particular case are such that you have to fight them. You can't let this just go because of what it means for the larger picture with journalists and especially as we go into these new models of how journalism works, because you are not just the agency you work for, you are now on your own, you are yourself, you are your name, your name becomes a brand, and that brand becomes a business. And that business has to be able to earn money to put food on the table. And when somebody does what they're continuing to do, by the way, this dismissal hasn't stopped the vitriol and the accusations. Like I've seen Mandy accused of being a murderous a homicidal maniac that you're that you're capable of murder, which is insulting but hilarious. <laughs> they they really miscarried. It's very funny because they the mischaracterization of a lot of these things that they accused me of all the time. Like anything from like the other day, somebody accused me of uh, talking to a random attorney in a bar about the Murdoch case. Nate and Brandon, I don't know, but I was. Oh, just named like, John. Named yeah. John. And I was like, I don't go out, guys. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I am doing everything. You guys think I'm this like bubbly personality who's hopping around town. I am not. I am. I am on my couch watching 90 Day Fiance, not talking about the Murdoch case in my free time. Like, I'm not popping around town being like, oh, I got the hot goss. No, I don't want to talk about it. I, I'm, I'm introverted. I'm also not a murderer. So are you saying, Liz, that you, you have to fight back? Because like my strategy has been up to this point in time, I don't fight back. You know, Will Folks, for instance, said some things Friday night that weren't true about Greg Leone and me, and we'll talk about that. How can I fight back at a guy that owns a media company? He said some bad things uh, about me in a text message to somebody I know, or or this stuff on the web, the, this misinformation. Am I supposed to let it go, or when I fight back, am I engaging and I can't win? I mean, is there a balance? What are you advising me to do? I'm listening to what you're saying. I'm trying to figure it out. I think that probably there is a it's like uh, pornography, you know, it when you see it, um, I think, you know, that when something has crossed the line from just somebody having a, a poor opinion of you versus they're setting out to ruin your career. And in my opinion, that's what these people connected this case did with Mandy and by proxy me who had nothing to do with the case. So dragging me into it, you know, occasionally it wasn't like some overwhelming thing where they dragged me into it. But I get like there's I have a few pet peeves and I actually have a lot of pet peeves in life, but one of them is I don't like being misunderstood and I don't like being mischaracterized. And so I, my knee-jerk reaction 
with these trolls sometimes is I can't help myself. It's before I've even thought I'm defending Mandy. I'm defending myself. I'm saying because I'm just like, you got it wrong. You don't know what you're talking about. You're absolutely. But that may be just the hobby part of it. I think the hobby part of it is just to feel good in the moment of I stood up for myself. But at the end of the day, what they were doing online was seeking to discredit her during a time in her career when she needed her credibility because it's what set her apart from a lot of the coverage. So at the height of, I mean, we could argue at the height of your career, Mandy, like they set out to defame and discredit you and did so in such a nebulous way that it allowed it to be seized upon by others who are looking to do the same. Want to temporarily restore definition in your jawline where it's been lost over time? With Juvederm Volux XC, you can get a non-surgical jawline treatment that adds volume for a smooth contour and to reduce the appearance of jowls in one in-office treatment with little downtime. Juvederm Velux XC injectable gel is the first and only hyaluronic acid filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injections like redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people who had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Eric, do you have anything to say about what happened this weekend? Yeah. So I lost a client and a friend. The allegation is he took his own life by strangulation hanging Friday afternoon. He tried to, um, and he was discovered and he was given artificial treatment and intubated and started his heart. But essentially, you know, there was little or no brain activity. And so, you know, decisions had to be made. Family members had to come. For me, it was, it really hit home because I met with Greg the day before. I met with him for two and a half hours and, you know, we talked business, we made some strategy decisions on his restaurant. But the thing for me is I never expected that he would do this now. Uh, if you would have asked me, do I think Greg's going to serve out the full 30 years? I would say no. I think Greg 
was willing to go through his appeals. He met with a, uh, his criminal lawyer before me, and there was some optimism about some appellate issues. And he, he told me he was going to wait to make any decisions regarding his future on the appellate decisions. And he, I told him I would be back Monday today. I had to get him to sign some papers today. And he asked me to bring glasses, four packages of salt, a wristwatch. They wouldn't let me bring in my uh, smartwatch, my Apple, but he wanted a wristwatch and he wanted me to go to his phone and get all phone numbers because I dial Mandy or I dial Liz. I don't know your phone number. I dial your, you know, the open contact, but I, I never memorized your phone number. So he needed the phone number. So that's him telling me he had no present intent to take his life. And, uh, I, it was about four o'clock at three thirty in the afternoon on Friday, and I got a call from Brian Sterling, who's a friend and a client of mine, who's the director of corrections, who said, "Eric, I got some bad news. Um, Greg Leone tried to take his own life." And I was like, "How's that possible?" One, I just spoke to him, but two, he's in an evaluation. So when you're being evaluated by the Department of Corrections, they're supposed to watch you. Um, he was 24-7 in his cell with three other cellmates. And I said, Brian, how's that possible? If he he's confined to his cell, somebody would have had to have been there. And, you know, he told me that, well, the other two cellmates were at lunch and another one was walking the halls. But, you know, this is not a good look for the Department of Corrections that somebody's convicted of murder and six days later, he's able to hang himself. Maybe. And I'll tell you why, maybe. Because we're evaluating them. We they they have to be on the vigilant, on the lookout that somebody that just got convicted and got 30 years may self-harm themselves. And we have to watch out for them. And uh, how do you go about, you know, I don't even know if there's sheets on the bed when you're being evaluated in that situation. What, what did he use? And so I said to uh, Brian Sterling, I want the videos of the hallway. I want to find out who came in and out of his cell. And he's like, well, you know, do you think do you suspect that there could be foul play? I said, well, let's eliminate that. You know, let's eliminate that possibility. One, he testified against Sheriff Metz and took him down. And Greg testified that he was being extorted by Sheriff Metz. He also killed Arturo Bravo, who was alleged to have been a member of a Mexican gang. So there's the possibility that there was retribution for that or retribution for Judge Metz. Or did Greg pipe his mouth off? to somebody and then somebody said, I'm gonna hurt you. But I am troubled by the fact that, that there was nobody watching out for him. And I'm mad at Greg, I want to tell you, I, I, I'm not judging him for taking his own life, but he didn't get, he never spoke to his children since the sentence um, because he wasn't able to make a phone call and he didn't leave a note. I, I since researched and found out that most people, believe it or not, who commit suicide don't leave a note. I would have thought that it was the other way around but they don't leave a note. And so I want for peace of the children because, you know, now they have to live with the fact that their father got convicted of murder and their father took his own life. I mean, this is not easy stuff. And I am hurting tremendously because he was a close friend, but my hurt pales in the comparison to his children and his wife. And, you know, this stuff started to be reported on Friday, like it was a fait accompli. Nobody knew that Greg couldn't pull through, you know, nobody knew he was on life support. And I just want to talk a minute and then I'll stop about the hospital and the Department of Corrections. The Department of Corrections officers that were in that room, in that hospital room, 
were kind, professional, uh, warm. The hospital staff was amazing. When we got there, they said, we were only going to let two people in the room at the same time. Two became four. Four became eight. When we made the decision at the end of the night to terminate Greg's life, every one of his workers came from every one of the restaurants, grown men on the floor with rosaries crying. When the decision was made to terminate his life, the correctional officers in the hospital let a hundred people in his room, guys, when the uh, medical equipment was disconnected. hundred people in the room, people in the hallways. It was extraordinary. I've never seen such a thing, but they saw how much Greg meant to a lot of different people. And over the weekend, I got emails from different business leaders who, who said how much Greg helped them in their businesses, that if they were doing a fundraiser and they didn't call him on the phone, he would call them on the phone and say, I want to contribute. Families who he had had their house painted or helped rebuild when they had a fire wrote me and said how much Greg Leone means. I mean, I laugh about it that I can't get six people to carry my casket. I really doubt that if I was in that hospital bed, that 20 people would show up for me. But people that he helped drive from Beaufort and Charleston to come to the hotel room, yes, he is a murderer. I get it. Yes, he took his own life and he's a Catholic and it's against the, the principles of the church. But let's not let five seconds of somebody's life, and I'm going to give his eulogy next week, but let's not let some five seconds of somebody's life define them. Yes, it's part of the equation. It's got to be part of the equation. But let's let's look at the whole life. And so I said what I said, but thank you for asking. Yeah, I was really sorry to hear that, Eric. And I know that that's just another another blow on top of everything else. Yeah, you guys were kind. Thanks. Yeah, I mean, I like to say, well, I've had this bad year. You know, I had my knee, Coco, Greg or whatever. But the, Renee, I love my wife so much because she looked at me and said, get out of your funk. Look at your life. You got me. You got your friends. You got your podcast. You got your law practice. You got your health now. Yes, it sucks. But life sucks much worse for so many other people than you. And I'm not going to let you wallow in it. So right now, I'm done grieving for the loss of Greg. I'm now focusing on all the happiness that I had with him. And so when I give a eulogy, it's going to be about the happiness that I've experienced with Greg, and I'm going to just focus on that. So I know I gave you a downer last week when I didn't give you a good happy, happy birthday, but I'm now going to give you that I'm okay and that I'm focusing on the positive and not the loss. Because you know what George Bernard Shaw said? You write your sorrow in sand, you write your happiness in stone. And so I'm writing it in stone. Good, Eric. And, you know, again, this case, I think, one, it shows again how, just how unusual South Carolina is. Like, there's never a dull moment. There's always something. Six degrees of separation, uh, not even among people, but also just twists and turns that you can't even believe. And then the second thing is that this maybe this is gauche of me, but it stood in stark contrast to, I think Dick Harpoon and Jim Griffin tried to present this sort of image of Alec as making this ultimate sacrifice for Buster uh, when he, the roadside shooting happened. And it shows you, because, you know, the criticism at the time that we had was... <laughs> Alec would never do that. Like he would never end his own life. He would never sacrifice himself for another person, regardless of whether it was Buster or not. 
Yeah. And this, I think, kind of paired up with what you had said last week about Greg Leone, what you said today, just about his reputation and, and how it stood in stark contrast to Alec. Once again, um, and there's now I'm not trying to I don't want to assign any nobility to um, self-harm. I, I just but in this case, I, you know, I think that perhaps what he was doing maybe was saving his kids a lifetime of having to visit their father in prison. He said that to me on Thursday, believe it or not. He said, I don't want my kids coming every Sunday, Christmas, Thanksgiving. You know, it's a five hour ordeal when they have restaurants to run, you know, because it takes a long time to get through security and you got to drive there and then just to get in and meet and leave. And he also said, I don't want my kids and my grandkids seeing prison. He said, Eric, you will not believe how dangerous prison is. And he said, look, I came to visit him when he was in Richmond, Virginia, to federal prison for six months when he had his probation revoked after he was charged with murder. And it was bad. That was a 1951 prison, no air conditioning. And he said, Eric, life in here is an absolute jungle. And there was a room next to me and a, a prisoner piped off. They came in with riot gear and all you hear is the nightsticks on the guy's head. And Greg said to me, this happens all the time in here and prison should be bad, but it, it is a bad place. And I don't know how anybody can survive unless you get institutionalized. It's just, uh, it's a bad place, bad place. But he did say that to me, that he didn't want to burden his children, which, you know, again, suicide. And, and, and by the way, I, you know what I watched last night? Otto, the movie with Tom Hanks. Did you guys see that? It's a came out in January. He's an older guy that he loses his wife. And half the movie is him about contemplating and trying different ways to commit suicide. And he finally, his neighbors give him a reason to live. So, I mean, God, I'm like, Renee, can we just turn this movie off? But it turned out to have a good ending. But, you know, there are a lot of people out there that view suicide as a, an option. And it it's real. It really is real. It really is. And um, that's why I've, especially in the last two years, I make a big deal. I, I really like to do lists every day. Um, they make me feel better. I have ADHD. I got to focus. But really in the last year, everything at the top of my to-do list has been having to do with taking care of myself and my mental health. And that is because like, and this is a horrible thing to say, but suicide is one of the biggest threats against me and a person that is going through all the things that somebody like me has no, gone Mandy, through. Please, no, 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 I, I don't. I, I, I'm fine. I No, I, I understand. Yeah, I, but I... But just to even talk about it. To even talk about it and say those words is horrible, but I, I realize that. And when we have to take care of ourselves, and that is the biggest priority before anything else. Like I, in the last year, I've been like, you know, work will always be there. Um, <laughs> the podcast, I'm going to do what I can. I'm going to try my hardest. But what's important is taking care of me and making sure that I don't lose like that sense of joy in life and lose that spark and lose that ability to get up in the morning. And it is really hard to explain to people. And it's a really tough conversation to have. But when you think, but when I, when I think of it as a prioritizing, and this is in the best thing that you can do for your work, the, the best thing that you can do for your family, the best thing that you can do for everything is take care of yourself first and then everything else. So glad that we, I think we are maturing in a society where we can talk about mental health and it's not a sign of weakness or a badge of dishonor. It's 
you know, you're seeing athletes talk about their depression or, you know, there was a baseball player that tried to commit suicide and knocked his eye out and he talked about it. But I think we're moving and progressing to a place where people that really you, Eric, you suffer from being down. I don't think I've ever been depressed, but I have, I am down right now. Are you even allowed to say, though, that you're depressed, Eric, as a member of the South Carolina Bar? Because I feel like they're rather restrictive when it comes to people dealing with mental health issues. And we've seen Jim Griffin sort of touch on this in some of his um, tweets, which I fully appreciated coming from him. But you see it out there that I think for lawyers to speak openly, lawyers in South Carolina anyway, to speak openly about their mental health struggles, to share it with anyone rather than getting the help they need, it, doesn't that become a professional hazard for them? It can. It can It can become a, a either you have to self-report or someone else, if they see it affecting your practice, they have a duty to report you. No, we're not like Tony Soprano when he saw, you know, his therapist, you know, we're not you know, he could never admit to his men that he was seeing a psychiatrist because of the the requirement that you have omerta inside, you know, that you never share your secrets. I think we can seek therapy uh, without us reporting. I think our bar is more concerned about substance abuse related to that depression, whether that depression turns into drug use or alcohol abuse. But yeah, I mean, listen, I applaud lawyers that whether it's the stresses of practice or the mixture of home and practice, seeking therapy, you know, this is the first time I've been down. Uh, and I think it's because of my knee and Coco and now Greg. It's I'm not debilitated with depression where I can't sleep or I can't function. But I, my friend turned to me this weekend, just like Renee did, and said, look, man, snap out of it. Look where your life is. And that's why I, I did. I snapped out of it pretty quickly and said, you know what? This is part of life. You know, Greg made his own decisions. I don't agree with it. Um, I can understand it. And I and I do understand it, but I don't agree with it. But so that's it. Well, I think one of the things making you depressed is probably um, having to look at Alec Murdoch's uh, breasts. Um that can't yeah. <laughs> not to change the wow. subject so abruptly, but maybe we do need this sort of break. But um, somebody needs to tell them selfies. Don't don't you do them low or is it high? <laughs> How do you do a selfie that we look good? High, high, high. Okay, because okay. the chin. He wanted the under boob look. Well, so he must have stopped doing his up downs. <laughs> Oh, God. He calls burpees up downs. Is the prison food that caloric, high in caloric and fat or carbs or something? Well, help me understand something. So what are those photos from? They're from his iPad. I know that, which A, why does he have an iPad? That's a, that's a question that's out there. Do we have an answer for that? Why does he have an iPad? Yes, Greg. Greg wanted one too. He can apply for one. Uh, Greg told me that he wanted me to fill out an application because if you're going to interact with your lawyer over your legal case, you are entitled to an iPad. So he was, even as a murderer, entitled to an iPad, just like Alex. And how much does that cost and like what limitations are put on them? I don't know if you have to pay for it yourself. Right. I would imagine. That I didn't get to the point to find out. Well, I would imagine you would have to pay for it yourself. I guess we need to look into that. But the other question is like, I mean, that's a glass that's an item made of glass and steel, I guess. So why are we giving murderers glass and steel? Like what? I'm not saying they should. Like, I, I mean, I think. But why does he get to post those photos? How would that photo be released? Of him? Well, did he post them? I don't. Are those. What were they? Mandy, did he take those photos? I think it's a login. 
uh, like it, it takes a picture uh, and it just came out in a FOIA of iPad use. So every time he was logging in to like check his little love letter, uh, I think it just automatically. So it's like when it's like when you have your cell phone and you it takes a picture to unlock it. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I think because it's. <laughs> FOIA, I guess, became public record. And yeah, this weekend, every 10 minutes, somebody was tagging me in that. And like, <laughs> it was funny, but it was just like, the, the, the amount of people that were like, I thought you would enjoy this. Ha ha ha. I do not enjoy that. I was trying to enjoy Taylor Swift in <laughs> my phone kept going. <laughs> That's the creepiest photo I have seen in weeks, guys. I got to tell you. And that was creepy. It's like Silence of the Lambs creepy, like Buffalo Bill posing in the mirror. Yeah, like like he, like when Hannibal had the face mask on. And oh, I'm he, thinking about bu- like Buffalo Bill being in the mirror, uh, being like, "I look, I'm pretty," or whatever. Is when he, he went saying? like yeah. this, exactly. Puts the lotion in the basket. <laughs> Yeah, it was um, it was a lot. I don't want to body shame him. I mean, I would think that prison, you know, food would make him maybe not revert to his uh, former shape. But who cares? And like, maybe it was just an unflattering position. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Yeah, I like Chunky Alec. I think Chunky Alec tells me that he's exactly who we thought he was. But um, yeah, those photos were shocking and um, we don't need them sent to us anymore. I mean, they, we got it. We get, we get it. I can literally like I can literally take <laughs> the shade of his nipple and make it at my wall color at this point. Like I can just bring it into Benjamin Moore and <laughs> like that is how much I've seen it. So it's way too much. Yeah. It needs to it needs to come with like a warning. Like there needs to be a graphic content ahead. Your life will be scarred forever. I'm more <laughs> horrified that those photos exist for all of us. Why do they need to save the photo? Fo- I mean, I guess it'll help if we ever get murdered, but okay. I think it's just prison. Okay, well that, that's great. It's not all of us, it's just prison. We'll be right back. Calling all lovers of mystery. Prepare to don your detective hat in June's Journey, a free hidden object mobile game that delves into the captivating journey of June Parker, a self-proclaimed detective on a quest to unravel the mystery surrounding her sister's untimely death. Take a trip in time to the glitzy 20s and play as June, deciphering clues and unveiling secret plots within thousands of beautifully illustrated scenes. The thrill is endless with new chapters added weekly allowing you to not only enjoy the detective adventure, but also to personalize and decorate your very own Orchid Island where the story takes place. How sharp are your detective skills? Find out when you download June's Journey on your Android or iOS device or play online via Facebook games. Your detective journey awaits. Shout out to Claritin for supporting this episode and providing us with samples. It has done wonders for our seasonal allergies. We recently started feeling the effects of spring. Luckily for those of us who live with the symptoms of allergies, we can live Claritin clear with Claritin D. Designed for serious allergy sufferers, Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so that you can breathe better. This double action combination 
combination of prescription-strength allergy medicine and the best decongestant available relieves sneezing, itchy and watery eyes, an itchy nose and throat, sinus congestion, and pressure with ease. Ready to live life as if you don't have any allergies? It is time to live Claritin Clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Ask for Claritin D at your pharmacy counter. You don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin Clear. Use as directed. I was shocked that Alex settled the beach case because of his narcissism and because I thought that he was just going to string everybody along for as long as he could to play his little game. And that's a great transition. Let's talk about what happened on Sunday because that was a very shocking, huge, big day. Liz? Yeah. Um, so I wouldn't like, I guess shocking. Uh, I would had hope for this outcome because I think it just, there's two things. One, it obviously saves the um, survivors and the beach family a whole lot of heartache and online harassment that can sort of come to an end. But the second thing is that it, it better positions, in my opinion, uh, the family in their civil conspiracy case. And that really is just very difficult to say when the first one's a wrongful death case. But the second case is a more malignant case in that... Um, the first one is involving a crash, an accident, something that wasn't uh, meant to happen. The second case is involving some very uh, strategic and purposeful uh, and deliberate acts. So I think that ultimately when it comes down to like what our mission is starting, you know, one of our missions is sort of pivoting to be, which is to stop this uh, harassment of people who are seeking justice in particular. That is the perfect case for that because the civil conspiracy case is all about the harassment that they received. Now, when we talk about Alec settling the case, it wasn't Alec who settled the case, really. It was his insurance. So or his his insurance attorney, I guess, Dawes Cook. Do you think they paid as well? The money that Alec has now, whatever that amount is, plus the amount that was collected by the receiver, plus the amount from his 401k, plus from the Edisto Beach house, um, all of that uh, will get totaled up. And then I think, Eric, if I'm going to have this correct, that you are part of the line here, a judge will decide how all of that's allocated. So they'll come up with a yes. total. And so basically the settlement is that that's enough. Whatever that ends up being, we'll take that. The main concern, obviously, was Parker's and um, Greg Parker, who owns Parker's Kitchen, did not want to get out of this lawsuit. He's fought it for four years to um, great destruction. Uh, he, he was going to burn down the village uh, and his insurance company was like, all right, enough. We're, we've had enough. We're going to settle this uh, with or without you. Well, they had enough when they lost the ability to sever Alex away from Greg Parker at the defense table. Again, you know, they asked uh, that they twice, right? get a venue change. So the insurance company, and there's always a conflict between the insurance company and the insured. The insurance company doesn't want a $50 million verdict. And I told you guys from the start, you know this, Liz, and you know, Mandy, Mark is a legal terrorist. And he was going to ring the bell, okay? It was going to be much more than $15 million when Mark Tinsley got done with them in that courtroom. And so the insurance company knew that. They forecasted it out. Don't kid yourself. They did shadow juries. They did a, a jury trial where they brought common jurors in and, and they asked them what would happen. They gave them a lot of the facts. And I guarantee you, they saw that verdicts were anywhere from 25 to $50 million. So they made a business decision and they may have said to Greg Parker, you have a duty to cooperate under these policies to settle the case. 
and I'm sure he went down kicking and screaming because he's been the Tasmanian devil for four years. And for Mark Tinsley, for the Beach family, and good for Mark and good for the Beach family, I'm glad that they got this settlement. So there's no price you can put on that, that crown jewel of a daughter. But Mark still has a second bite at the apple, which is extraordinary. And the facts in this case could inflame the jury even more. And it'll come out of Greg's pocket. Right. And that's the bigger issue here, which is this. There's two things that this can all get very confusing. But there's Greg Parker, who's the human man, and he owns Parker's Kitchen. Parker's Kitchen was sued in the boat crash case. So they're the ones that settled. Greg Parker is being sued personally in the civil conspiracy case for the accusations include uh, that in an effort to sort of um, erode at the beaches resolve in this case, they uh, allowed materials, confidential court materials, plus uh, Mallory's pictures of her body when they found her in the water to be leaked. But I think more and more, it's obvious that there, there are these strategic campaigns that are in place to help people like Greg Parker outside of the courtroom that can pay their way out of lawsuits by creating these public relations strategies. But that said, the Beach family wants Greg Parker to feel pain for what he's done because they want accountability. He is not going to change his business practices and he's not going to change his legal practices without having to endure some sort of financial dent in his pocket. And so the money wasn't really the issue um, with, the, with the Beach family. They really wanted accountability here. They did not get the accountability they wanted in the settlement for the boat crash case in the sense that, yes, it's there's a lot of positive and this being settled, but they they agreed to the settlement because they know what they have coming down down the trail. And that really is their mission. And when you talk about two parents and, and a stepmother, uh, Mallory's stepmother as well, and her sister and brother-in-law, you talk about people who are like us in the sense that they really, it's not about the things that everyone thinks it's about. It's not about the personal gain. It's not about any of that. Because I was talking to Patrick Carr, who is Anthony Cook's attorney last night. And he said to me, if you went to any of these people, the survivors of the boat crash, Mallory Beach, her family, the day before the boat crash or the day of the boat crash, and you said, hey, I'm going to make you a millionaire many times over, more money than you'll be able to earn in your lifetime, but one of you has to die tonight in this crash. Zero of them would take that deal. Nobody wanted that outcome in any way, shape, or form. So, you know, again, it's not about the money, but it's also about in Connor Cook's case, for instance, and Miley Altman's and Morgan Dowdy's case, um, this is a good point of closure for them. When it comes to, you know, it's never going to go away for them. They're always going to have this in their history. They're always going to relive it uh, to some degree. But it at least allows them to move forward, I think. Right. I mean, and that's really maybe the, the best benefit. What do you for think, them. Baby? I'm just really not happy is the word, but um, I'm proud of the Beach family for sticking it out this long. And I don't think a lot of families would have endured all of the things that they did, especially in the middle of their case. It, their case just blew up into this whirlwind media storm that was a whole nother layer of lots of harassment and things to deal with and people constantly calling them greedy and just hor and accusing and accusing all those kids on the boat of just being these brats that like wanted to make money off of this. And that is just so beyond cruel to say that, A, but just not true. And I don't think, I, I know for a fact that none of the, the money is not in any way replaces Mallory Beach or 
it's just a step to real accountability. And I'm just glad that they got there. And I'm glad that all of them did not have to endure the trial because I think that that would have been really hard. This is what we do in a civilized society. Money judgments. I mean, I make no apologies that the Beach family and Mark shouldn't. And there's going to be some people on the Internet who are going to say, oh, my God, $15 million is too much. How could they be rewarded like that? No parent would trade their child for $15 million. If you gave Mr. Beach the choice of a room alone with Greg Parker and the other people who caused their daughter's death for $15 million, I'd, and he would say, give me the room. Let me in there for 30 minutes. I mean, but in a civilized society, you can't do that. So money judgments are what, what our founding fathers have determined. That's what justice is. So no apologies. Do not denigrate the Beach family. Don't denigrate Mark Tinsley because Mark Tinsley is a warrior. He is a Praetorian guard for the Beach family and good for him and good for the Beach family. Mandy, what are your thoughts on the fact that like this was available to Greg all along? Parker's Kitchen could have settled this in 2019. We get we get this question a lot online. People ask us constantly about Luther's, where the kids had their, uh, where Connor and Paul went right before they got on the boat that last time. Luther settled the case in, I believe it was 2019, almost immediately. They settled it. Randolph Murdoch settled it because it was their house that they had left from that day. The Wood family, they settled it. It was their house where the oyster roast was. And the Murdoch family trust, which also owned the house, settled it. So they got an early settlement in this case. Uh, so when people were like, why is Parker's being held accountable and not Luther's or not the Wood family or not? They were held accountable and they tapped out immediately because it wasn't they knew the facts of the case. Their insurance covered it and they were done. Parker's never offered, as far as I know, a, any sort of settlement offer until now. So they were willing to take this to, again, to burn down the village. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, they did it. The insurance company settled against the wishes of his attorneys, his eight sets, and also Parker himself. I don't actually know about the boat crash attorneys where, where they stood on that matter, but the civil conspiracy attorneys, this doesn't look good for them, right, Eric? Yeah. It's, this makes their case much harder, right? It does. Because regardless of whether Parker's Kitchen has admitted wrongdoing, it looks like they've admitted wrongdoing because that's such a big number. Yeah. Well, the question then becomes, how do you choose a jury at that point for the next case? You know, how many people have heard about this? And um, my money's on Mark Tinsley if I'm Greg Parker. I need to reach into my pocket and somehow settle, but there may not be an amount of money that he can offer to Mark Tinsley. That's what I'm thinking too. I think that this is, I think that this is where- it gives Mark a free shot. The beaches want to see, they want their pound of flesh. And I, I think, you know, I've heard that said over and over, and I think this is when it's coming. Um, another point that Patrick Carr, uh, Anthony Cook's attorney made last night, was that he hopes that, uh, he called them material um, participants, I think, in the case. But he meant, I mean, it's Greg Parker and Parker's Kitchen and, and what have you. Uh, he was hoping that they wouldn't use the amount of the settlement as a vehicle to get the legislation, that that tort reform that they want to get through. Do you know- Join oh, several liability. Yeah. Do you want to just quickly explain that, Eric? Sure. So we have a, um, a rule of law that's called joint and several liability. And that means if there's six people that contributed to the accident, meaning a party at the Smith house, 
They drank at the public house. They drank at O'Hara's. And I'm not saying, I'm just naming names here in Lexington or Columbia. They drank at Joe's Bar. And all six got sued. If there's a $50 million verdict, you can collect the $50 million from one or from all. The jury is not required to apportion responsibility between all six defendants. Greg Parker and his lawyers want that law changed so that if there are five defendants, the jury has to apportion fall between all five defendants because Greg Parker said, I think I'm the least responsible for what happened to Mallory Beach. And I think I should only be held 10% responsible if I'm liable at all. And you got to go find the other 90% from the other defendants or other culpable parties. But the way the law exists now is that he could be held responsible for everybody. And all he would get would be some kind of mathematical deduction by the judge after the verdict comes in against him. Well, Mark's already recovered $3 million from this one or $2 million from this one or $1 million. And the jury never finds out about those settlements. Parker wants the law changed to be, the jury has to be told he settled with X, he settled with Y, he settled with A, he settled with B. And you, jury, determine, am I only responsible for 10%, not the 100%. So basically what you're saying is that this law change would benefit the people with the deeper pockets, obviously. And, and on its face, I think like we can look at that and say, like, well, that doesn't seem very fair that the person with perhaps the least amount of responsibility, but the right. bigger ability to pay would be responsible for all of it. But in talking to some of our friends who are attorneys, their point of, point of view on that would be it is a tool for people who have been harmed. And most people don't have these settlements that are uh, eight figures or what have you. They have smaller settlements. And if you get into a car crash with two different cars and you have lost your leg and you have these massive medical bills, you have this challenge of a life ahead of you. The person who hit you directly can't afford to uh, pay the bill. The other person that was involved in the crash might be able that kind of thing, right? Like it's a way to, so that you can get me be made whole. Yeah. I mean, they, there's many accidents. There's many accidents. I have a couple clients now that have been killed. I represent the estate the person that killed them had the minimum limits of liability insurance, $25,000, and they live in an apartment that's rented. They don't have assets. And so the insurance company immediately says, here's your $25,000. I'm like, wait, I got to go look. Are there other potential culpable parties? Was there a bar? Was there an employer or something? But otherwise, I've had many cases where somebody dies and all they get is $25,000. Yeah, and that's insane. So Greg Parker wants that law changed uh, for obvious reasons. And I think also it would help um, convenience stores that sell alcohol. It would make their lives probably a lot easier moving forward, given how popular it is to go to those stores. Uh, it just one one thought on that entire thing. Um, you asked about Greg not settling for so long. And it's really weird thinking back to it. Because in 2019, like you said, a lot of the parties just started settling. And, and people also need to understand that it was already the most well-known lawsuit in the low country and probably in South Carolina before the murders. Like a lot of people. And the motivation were, for the murders, most likely. Yes. And a lot of people were following that case. And so I remember back in 2019, we were like, Greg Parker has gas stations everywhere in this area and this is a really bad lawsuit to be wrapped up in why is he not settling and it's just weird it was him and the murdochs and we all know why the murdochs didn't settle because 
everything that was going on with Alex's finances and all the problems that he had going right. on. But Greg just turned into this mini little monster, a big monster that uh, just wanted to be greedy this entire time and wanted to fight tooth and nail this grieving family and make things so much worse. And I'm just really glad that that's at an end. And we're going to talk about that a lot more on True Sunlight this week and all the details of it's kind of a complicated settlement and Liz is still getting a lot of the details. But yeah, it's overall a it's a very good step. And I think and I'm glad that in a long time coming. Yeah, I'm excited and uh, hopefully we'll be talking to Mark. I think with that, we uh, should close with something joyful. What do we have that, Mandy, what do you have that's joyful? What do I have that's joyful? David and I's favorite thing is traveling. So we're always just happy when we're going to leave here and go on a hike. We're going to go explore the town. And that's just our favorite thing in the world to do. But as far as joyful, I mean, I think that we all, it's been kind of a tough summer, um, for all of us in different ways in a tough few months for all of us in a different ways. Um, but we're really crawling our way out and seeing the sunlight and seeing that things are getting better. And I just love sharing the joy of like the good guys do win sometimes yeah. and keep trying to do what you're doing and keep going. And that was the thing with that's was my conclusion yesterday when we heard that this case was finally settled. It's like this, this is the good guys winning and they're going to keep winning. So this is, this is a movement. It's not just a moment. I got good joy. I got good joy. I want to share. Oh. Uh, Stella had a good first meeting with um, Splash, the uh, English Mastiff. Uh, we're going to have one more meeting this week and then um, we're going to give it a shot. I think she exercised some discretion and said, you know what? I don't think I'm going to take on this horse right now. Um, so she was a little bit uh, laid back, which was good. And then I just got noticed that I am going to see Cheryl Crow at Beach Mountain. That is just a cool way for the middle of the summer for me. Yeah, I have a lot of joyful news too, but I'll share it in the future. Oh, I'm so excited. Guys, cups down. Once again, good show. Yeah, keep us updated on that one. Yep, cups down. Good job. Yeah, cups down. This Cup of Justice episode is created and hosted by me, Mandy Matney, with co-host Liz Farrell, our executive editor, and Eric Bland, attorney at law, a.k.a. the Jackhammer of Justice. From Luna Shark Productions. Ah!